Well, we're in a series of messages titled Joy Regardless, and it's a study out of the book of Philippians. And so we've been, we've been working our way through this book, and we still have a number of weeks left, but it's, it's been really, really special, a lot of fun. I hope, I hope you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, so there you go. You know, I'm enjoying it, and I hope you are as well. But I got to thinking this week about a question, a question. And this is a question that really is appropriate today because as we kind of talk about our fifth graders, here is the question. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? When I first saw this game show and I read that, I said, you bet I am. And then I started to, I tried to answer the questions. And then I started to wonder, I don't think I'm smarter than a fifth grader. And then the next question was that popped into my mind, how did I ever get through Mrs. Buckingham's fifth grade class if it was these kind of questions? I'd have never made it. Now, come on. Honestly, those questions were hard. They are hard. And I guess all of these fifth graders are just geniuses. I know the four that were up here this morning and those they represent are all geniuses, right? Oh, come on. You better than that. All are geniuses, right? The parents should be saying, you bet they are. You bet. Well, here's the thing. In 2013, TV Guide did a study, or rather did a little survey, of all of the game shows over history. And this game show actually placed in the top 60 of all-time game shows. So it's very popular. And really what it is, it's, it's just an examination of knowledge. It's kind of trivia, but it's more than trivia. It's, it's knowledge that evidently is taught in elementary schools. Terrific. Knowledge. Knowledge, the search for knowledge, information, the, acqui the, the acquiring of knowledge is really fascinating. All of us do it to a variety of degrees. For example, seniors in high school or juniors actually take their SAT, they prep for their SATs or their ACTs so that they can get ready for college entrance. It's very important. So they're acquiring knowledge. They're trying to figure out how to navigate all of that. You might read a technical manual, for example, for your job so that you're more proficient at what you do. Uh, you may scour the internet for all kinds of information. For example, looking up last couple weeks ago, I looked up YouTube, how do I barbecue a pork loin? You know, there you go. Now that's really significant stuff, but I wanted to get it right because it was dinner for everybody. I didn't want to mess it up. So, I did. so there's information. I was seeking information. It's fascinating when you begin to look at the amount, ready for this, the amount of information that's available and the amount of information that's being put out for us to acquire. Think about this for just a second. Here's just a couple statistics, social media stuff. Twitter. Twitter users, this is per minute, okay? All of these statistics are per minute. Twitter users sent 473,400 tweets every minute. Ready for this? Snapchat, two million photographs. Instagram posted 49,380 pictures and LinkedIn gained 120 new contacts. So think about it, that's every minute. So you see the, the data is exploding. The information that's available to you and me is just almost beyond comprehension. So when you think about this data that's available, and let's just focus for just a minute not on all the physical libraries that are around the country or around the world. You can only imagine the collective knowledge that's there, the collective information that's available to be known, I guess you could say. 
So let's just talk about the, let's just talk about the internet. Let's just talk about digital for a moment, okay? Think about it. When you measure or it's calculated, however you want to look at it, I have an iPhone, I have an iPhone, and whatever platform you have, it's Android or whatever it is, and it really doesn't matter, but iPhone's the best. Anyway, uh, I have an iPhone, I have an iPhone 11, and my iPhone 11, I have the little, I have the littler one, it's a 64 gig, so it's 64 gigs of memory, so it's not a big deal, I don't really need a lot of, of, imp- of, uh, of memory for the things that I do on my phone. But now gigabytes, that's pretty cool, because that's moving up the, that's moving up the chain. Used to be megabytes, but now it's gigabytes. And before that, it was kilobytes, if you can even remember back that far. Kilobytes, megabytes, gigabytes. But now let's get really crazy for a moment. What if you had, you ready? If you had 1,000 gigabytes, that's a terabyte. Now that we're starting to get, that's becoming more familiar. Then if you have 1,000 terabytes, that's a petabyte, 1,000 terabytes. Petabytes is an exabyte, and a thousand exabytes is a zettabyte. You got all that? Because there is going to be a test later, okay? No, here's what I'm trying to get to. That's the, uh, right now, corporation by the name of IDC, they do this kind of uh, corporate studies and digital analysis and the like. They've estimated that right now, in the world, there's 18, ready, 18 zettabytes of information available. Now that is thousand upon thousand upon thousand upon thousand upon thousand. That, so let me give you a little illustration of how much that is. By 2025, they are estimating that the world's global data, okay, the amount of information that can be known is going to be 175 zettabytes. To put that into perspective, if you took an old CD, remember those big old things? Not the records. You go, records? What's a record? A CD about that big. If you put them together and you had as much information as 175 zettabytes, it would circle the earth 222 times. That's a lot of data. Or it would take you 1.8 billion years to download it onto your computer. Not going to be around for that, just saying. Here's the point. There's a lot of information out there, isn't there? There's a lot of information. There's a lot, of, there's a lot to be known. And I would, I would venture to say that knowing, brings a, knowing information brings about pretty good outcomes. You can, you can have good outcomes. But also, when you know the right things, it's going to bring about great outcomes. Not just good outcomes, great outcomes. And I'm going to go a step farther. Knowing the right things is going to bring about God outcomes. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Knowing. Knowing. That's what this is all about. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter number three. And we're going to begin reading at verse number four. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Join us on Version online. This is always a great way, although the notes are there too. I encourage you to do that. And at the bottom of your of your screen on YouTube, you'll have the information on how to access that, so we encourage you to do so. Philippians chapter three, verse number four. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul speaking, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness, uh, based on the law, faultless. But whatever, but whatever, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and, and somehow, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you for your words. Speak life to us in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna talk for just a few minutes about knowing, knowing. Because knowing, knowing is critical and it is key to deepening and sustaining our joy regardless. Now remember where Paul is, Paul's in prison. And if you would think anything would erode his joy, it would be his circumstances. It would be his life at this moment. But that was just farthest, that was the farthest thing from the truth. His joy was strong and that's what Philippians is all about. So knowing, knowing helps us maintain, deepen and sustain our joy regardless. The first, the first part of this is knowing Knowing the limits of self-confidence. Knowing the limits of self-confidence. Let me just start by saying this. Having a healthy self-confidence is a good thing. That's a good thing. But there can, it can get to a point that we're maybe overly confident in ourselves, and that can create some issues. What I love about what, what Paul does, he, he kind of talks about his resume. Now, I've had the opportunity, privilege, or I don't know what, you know, the misfortune of having to view, review resumes from time to time. One thing I've learned about resumes, eh, they're not always true, okay? If you want to have some fun, go look up some resumes online of what people submit, and you're going to go, oh my goodness, if this person was serious, I sure hope they didn't get the job. But here's the thing. Resumes can be uh, overstated, they can be overwhelming. They can also be flatly not true. And they can go, oh my goodness, what was this person thinking even putting that down? And so sometimes people overestimate their abilities. Not so with Paul. And what you have here, you have really a resume of sorts. Here's what he says, because he says, look, if anyone has confidence, should have confidence in, them, in themselves, if they should be self-confident, it's me. I've got reason for that. Okay, now then he goes on and he says, I'm, a, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. You say, well, how is that a resume? Well, it really speaks, it speaks to the heritage that he, he has. His parents raised him in Judaism and they were following the law to the absolute perfection. On the eighth day, a Jewish boy was to be circumcised and they did it on the eighth day. That was a badge of honor, as it were. The tribe of Benjamin, this was one of the two tribes that stayed loyal to the house of David after the kingdom split. In the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel, who was it? His name was Saul. Before it was Paul, it was Saul of Tarsus. He was probably named after the first king of the loyal tribe. So you see, that's another badge of honor. Then he goes on, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, what does that mean? He spoke the language. He spoke Hebrew. That was not always the custom. Many had lost the language over the time. And so again, here's a part of his resume. He speaks Hebrew. That is a big deal. But also, he was a Pharisee. This is the strictest of the sects in, in Judaism. These guys, 
these guys developed 613 additional laws to the original 10 commandments to make sure that they followed and were righteous before God. Talk about an impossibility. Well, it was. And what ended up happening is that there was a shift away from the spirit of the law of God. And their law took precedence over God's law. But Paul says, look, I'm a Pharisee. Then he goes on, he says, I'm zealous to the extreme. I even persecuted the church. Anybody that fought against Judaism, I was the guy. And then finally he says, I was faultless in keeping the 613 laws. And what is amazing, you look at his resume and you go, man, did this guy embellish it? Did he make it up? Nope, this was Paul. So that's why he says, if anybody has reason to have self-confidence, I do. I do. But what's so cool about Paul is that he understands there's a healthy self-confidence and there's an unhealthy self-confidence. And that's what he draws his attention to. And you see, knowing the limits of self-confidence will sustain your joy when the world goes nutty. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Being a Pharisee of Pharisees sitting in a prison did not do him one bit of good to sustain or deepen his joy. Had nothing to do with it. And I'm going to suggest all of the legalism, all of our resume, all of the stuff that we may know, quote unquote, in the middle of a nutty time. And let me just stop for a moment. Would anybody agree with me that we're kind of living in a nutty time? Yeah. This is the nuttiest time I've ever seen. And I'm telling you, legalistic righteousness, all of this stuff, Paul is saying, I'm confident, but I've got to have the right kind of confidence. It has to be directed appropriately. And he's making it very clear to the Philippians that we need to have a right type of confidence. Now, you know, I don't know if you know somebody that has ever kind of projected themselves to be a know-it-all. They're just no fun to be around because they know it all. They're the smartest person in the room, and they're going to let you know that they know it all. I honestly, as a kid, I remember this guy, Mr. Know-it-all from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Now, some of you are going, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Who in the world is Rocky? Look it up. This is when cartoons were cartoons, buddy, let me tell you. This is when it was happening. Mr. Know-it-all. Can I tell you something? Mr. Know-it-all didn't know it all. And every know-it-all that I've ever known doesn't know it all, even though they think they know it all. They don't. And they have an unhealthy self-confidence about what they know. But honestly, when the world flips, knowing the right things is what's going to bring about the God outcomes. And I want to know the right thing. I want to have a healthy self-confidence. And I want to make sure that my attention and that the things that I know are focused and directed on the right things. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. If you want to boast, if you want to have confidence, have confidence in God. And what is so significant about this verse is at two different occasions in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, both letters written by Paul, he quotes that verse to the Corinthians that say, if you're going to boast in anything, you boast in God. You don't boast in anything else. 
In other words, you have a healthy self-confidence. Our confidence is in God, not in our, what we have done, what we are able to do. It's not in our resume. Galatians chapter number six, verse 14 says, as for me, Paul says, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because the cross, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Ephesians chapter two, verse number eight, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works and say this with me so that no one can what? Boast. Say it again. What? Boast. If you're going to boast in anything, we boast in God. We are to have a, self, a, a healthy self-confidence. We're to limit that confidence. And our confidence is to be in God. All of us have boastable moments. We all have boastable moments. And we should express a healthy self-confidence. However, without a proper understanding, without a proper understanding and limits, and limits on our boasting, Touting our spiritual resume is not going to sustain or deepen our joy when the world flips on its head. So this simple thought, knowing, knowing this, knowing this will produce joy regardless. Having, having limits on our self-confidence. Second, knowing that is important. Secondly, knowing perspective matters. Or you could say it this way, having perspective. But our topic is knowing. Knowing perspective it matters. Some of you may be familiar with this kind of art, this 3D art. It was popular a few years ago. And this 3D art is, is unique. You look at it and, you know, just at first glance, it's just these colors. So you kind of have to get silly-eyed or have a different perspective to see the image that's embedded in this piece of art. And you may be familiar, they may not be. I would encourage you to find them, look at them. They're really cool. And if you can get into that little zone, you're going to pick out the image on the inside. Everything's about perspective. It's about perspective. The right, with the right perspective, the image will appear. And perspective is critical when it comes to deepening and sustaining our joy regardless I want to read once again Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Because Paul says some things here that really help us understand perspective. He says, but whatever regains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes through God on the basis of faith. Paul, what he does to highlight perspective, there are five words that just leap off the page. The first one is this, whatever, whatever. Now, this is not a dismissive whatever, like whatever. No, whatever is, is this statement that's all-encompassing. When he says whatever, he is not leaving anything out of that conversation. Whatever, and he goes on, whatever were gains, I now consider a loss. Whatever it is, whatever it is. All of that resume stuff, mm -mm, whatever. That was maybe a gain, no, that's a loss. That's a loss. The second thing that Paul says, he talks about everything. Whatever, and then everything. It's almost as if he is reinforcing this idea. Now, how do you define everything? Is it everything? Or is it everything? You say, well, Gary, that's the same word, of 
course it's this, yeah, that's how I define it. Really? Everything should mean everything. Not a compartmentalized everything. We might say everything on this side, but you know, there's this that I'm still gonna kinda hold on to. I'm still gonna do it this way. I'm still gonna top my spiritual resume over here because it's really important. So that's not really part of everything. No, everything means everything. The third word is worth, worth. He uses two words that are very interesting. He talks about gains and losses. Now, if you're like an accountant, you're gonna put your gains on one side, your losses on the other, and whatever your bottom line is. Or it could be like a scale, where you put everything on a scale and one balances out, one is far heavier than the other. So the, the, the scale tips in the direction of that which is most important. And you would think that in kind of the framework of the words, gains would outweigh losses. But really, Paul is saying it this way. The losses outweigh the gains. However, what's gained in the losses surpasses what's lost, namely Christ. You see, when you gain Christ, everything else, everything else slips by the wayside. And Christ overwhelms anything that we might have given up. That everything, that whatever. <clears throat> Paul says, no, no, no. To gain Christ is of greater worth than anything and whatever. It will totally outweigh, no matter how much is on this side of the ledger, it will still balance in that direction. It's still greater. The fourth word is garbage. Now this word is really strong language. It means rubbish, dung, that which is thrown to the dogs. This is a very harsh word. He is saying that everything that I have accomplished all of this stuff, he talks about righteousness, this legalistic righteousness, the stuff that I've done, my resume, it's rubbish. It's to be thrown to the dogs. It's dung. It's, it's worthless stuff in comparison to knowing Christ. And then the last word is faith. Faith. The perspective is that all of this legalistic stuff does not and will not save you, and it will not preserve joy when, the life, when life goes upside down. It's not going to do it. Listen to what he wrote to the Galatians, another church that was dealing with some of these same issues. This is what he wrote. I'm reading from the message paraphrase. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God. Can I just stop for a second? Some of us have lived our lives like that. We have worked our heads off to please God. Paul was doing that. Listen to what he says then. And it didn't work. Some of us would agree. We tried really hard. We have this great resume of spiritual life and spiritual heritage and spiritual legacy. We've got all of this stuff over here. We can just pile up those gains like crazy. This is just huge. And you would think that the scale would be tipped in that direction because you are so and I am so good. I have got this together. God has got to be pleased with me. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep pressing, guy. And that scale is just going to keep. And Paul says that 
that's all rubbish. It's garbage. It's dung. It doesn't work. That's what he's saying. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. It is not clear to you, is it not clear to you that, that to go back on that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that to repudiate God's grace. If, living, if, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Man, I'm telling you, that is powerful. And if we could grasp that truth, we've got to grasp that truth. Knowing perspective matters. All of this stuff, is it might be good, but it will not affect your salvation. It will not affect your eternity. You're just walking through life trying to please God and it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Christ died for you and for me and we are saved by grace through faith and we have an eternal destiny that is amazing and in the meantime we can have joy regardless no matter what happens around us. I want to live that way. Knowing perspective matters. Lastly, knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. Since we've been in Temecula, we're now on our, it's not a big deal, but we're on our second mail carrier. First mail carrier retired pretty early on when we arrived. And so our new mail carrier, she's, I don't know, dark hair, about 30 years old. And in kind of the passing interactions, I've, you know, waved. And so that's what I know about her. She drives a little truck, you know, and she gives us our mail. Now, I don't know her. I'm wondering, so I was, I was challenged with this question this past week. Do you know your mail carrier? And I went, no, but she's about 30-ish. She's brown hair and drives a truck. That's it. That's what I know. Maybe, maybe you're different. Maybe you know your mail carrier. You're on a first-name basis, and you're having conversations with them. I don't know. If you are, way to go. So I've been challenged this week to know my to meet my mail carrier. I think it's courteous to do that, carry on a conversation. She's knowing kind of a little bit more about me because she's putting these things in my box that are all about the church and Reverend this and Reverend that. And she's going, I wonder who this dude is. Well, here I am. I might as well introduce myself. Now here's my point. I know a little bit about her, but I don't know her. And you, you, you might think of it this way. You might know a little bit about Jesus. You might even be able to tell me the story. You can tell me what you know about him. But I'm going to make a, a very, very simple statement. You don't know him if you just know about him. And Paul is saying something so profound. I hope, I hope everyone watching online with me this morning and whenever you may view this this week, and everybody in the auditorium, hear me. Do you realize what Paul is saying? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that wrote 14 letters of the New Testament. This is the guy who, who is really the, the grand theologian, if you were, if you, if you will, of our faith. 
He is the guy saying, I want to know Christ. If anybody knew Christ, he did. But he says, I want to know him. What a pursuit. And I would ask this question. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, I don't know if it's a day, if it's 50 years, do you want to know Christ? You see, I, I see two things. One is about passion. And I would just say it this way. We need to have a passionate, a passionate desire to know Jesus. When I was courting my wife, I was passionate about it. Okay? I tracked her down. I wouldn't leave her alone. I pestered her until she finally gave in. Now you say, that's, that's kind of silly. No. I was after that young lady and I would not be denied. I wonder if we're that way about Jesus. Because that's what this is. A passionate desire to know. The Apostle Paul knew Jesus. But yet he said all of this other stuff, I'm sitting in the middle of a jail and the only thing that matters is I want to know Christ. Come on. Come on. Do we have the same kind of passion to know Jesus? There's also a second thought is that we need to have a, we need to crave, and I use that word very intentionally, crave an intimate, an intimate knowledge of Christ. The word intimate is very important because that's the indication of this, of this, of this word in the original language. There's an intimacy that Paul is saying. And he really, to, to be, what he is describing is this. When you want an intimate knowledge of Christ, it is this, to be aware of his will and then to be willing to obey him. Okay, get that. Really, really critical. To be aware of his will and then be willing to obey him. Mark eight thirty four. then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's what it is. That, that's what this is. And you see, how is it illustrated? How is this denial and taking up your cross, how does that live out? Paul gives it to us in four words. The first word is resurrection. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Every one of us this morning who may be watching online and those who are here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you have experienced the power of the resurrected Christ. He lives within you. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans 8. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. We have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. And we need to have that more and more and more. And it's interesting that Paul starts with that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The second thing he says, I want to know Christ. Ready for this? You're going to love this. In participation of his suffering. And you go, wait a minute. Time out. I like the resurrection stuff. The suffering thing, not into that. Do we have like another option? No. Suffering. Suffering. Because that's how we understand, it's how we know him intimately, is when we suffer. Matthew 10, 22, you'll love this verse. This is a great one. This will encourage you. Everyone will hate you because of me. There you go. 
That's true. That's true. But if you remain faithful until the end, you'll be saved. Praise God. Oh, it gets better. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering so that I could become like him in his death. There's the next word, death. You go, what? I still like resurrection, don't like the suffering, and death makes it even worse. Why would it? We need to die to self. We need to die to self-interest. We need to die to this world. I'm going to say something this morning. I want to be very careful how I say it. But let me read verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12 first. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm going to reveal my age this morning. Many of you may know it. That's okay. If you don't, you're going to learn it. I'm 39 years old. And I'm holding. No, I'm 64. In my 64 years, I've followed Jesus virtually my entire life. I'm grateful for that. But I've never seen a time or a season like we are presently in. Hear me carefully. I believe that the church in America for the first time in my life, there is suffering and persecution that is happening. I, it's not to the extent of what our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing, but understand something. We've never seen the pushback against the church like we are seeing pushback against the church in 2020. There are, there are groups who want to tear down every statue of Jesus because of some bizarre understanding of whatever. What? There is a group of pastors who have banded together in, in Washington to protect the physical buildings of their churches because they have been threatened that they would be vandalized. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and somehow to become like him in his death. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. Our joy will be sustained and it will be deepened when we know Christ intimately. And it's all of the above. It's not pick and choose, multiple choice. And then finally, Paul says this. It's about eternity and to, so, and to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ has a future, that's amazing. It's available for all of us. And all of this sustains and deepens our joy regardless. Knowing Christ is all-inclusive. That's what I'd leave with you. It's all-inclusive. It's resurrection, suffering, it's death, it's eternity, it's all of the above. But I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And my challenge to you this, today, to everyone joining me online, I want you to know Christ. I want you to make that declaration today. I want to know Christ. So this final thought. Knowing the right things results in good outcomes. Perspective drives us to know the right person. You ready? And results in God outcomes. That's what I want for you and for me. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for your word. 
We give you all the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. This morning as we conclude our time, I'm just going to ask you one question. I hope everyone in this room will answer by a lifted hand indicating yes. And if you're watching me online this morning, the question is for you too. And here it is, carefully. Actually, it's two questions. The first is this, do you know Christ? That's the first question. Do you know him? Do not, do not lift a hand on this if you know something about him. But if you know him, if that's you, would you be so courage, have the courage to say, yeah, that's me. I know Jesus. I know Christ. I know Christ. Put your hands down. And then this question, it's a follow-up. Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to know Christ? And if that's your answer, the answer is yes. Would you lift your hand with me? Jesus, thank you that we come before you today with the desire to know you in every way, in every way. Lord, we, we want to have a healthy self-confidence, but we're going to put limit on it, limits on it. We're not going to rely on that, Lord, but we're going, to help, we're going to gain the right perspective because that matters. Knowing that matters. And Lord, when we lose everything, we gain Christ. All of those gains that we might look at, no, we lose those so that we can gain Christ. And it just so outweighs everything. And Lord, we want to know you. So I pray this morning as hands are lifted around this room and if people are acknowledging online today, we want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. Lord, to, even, even to the point of, of death and then somehow to attain the resurrection of life. Let it be so, Lord. Let us know you in an intimate way. Let us be passionate in our pursuit and our desire to know you. And I pray this morning if there is one person who doesn't know you, they have not crossed that threshold of faith, that today would be that day. They would come to faith in Christ. Let it be so. By simply declaring, Jesus, you are Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I turn away from sin. I repent of my former life, of everything, and I will follow you. I am going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow you. I pray, Lord, that many are making that declaration. Many are making a recommitment. Lord, that's the way I want to live my life. I turn away. I turn away. I deny all of this stuff. I lay it down, and I follow you. Let it be so today. We give you thanks and praise for your presence in this room. Thank you for all you've done today. We give you all the honor in your name, Jesus. Amen.